welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to copreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I'm going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow copreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome to another episode of the Copper Path Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wills, and I'm here today with our special guest, Rob Krikak. And today we are going to talk a bit about how to implement a four-day work week in your business without the fear of failure. Now, Rob, he learned this firsthand because he started off his career working in the finance industry on Wall Street. Uh, He became an owner of multiple businesses, including three Anytime Fitness franchises. But ultimately, he found himself unfulfilled by those things and experiencing some tech overwhelm in the world, as we often do, and being held captive by all the tech that is around us on a day-to-day basis. And so Rob started his own consulting company called Humans First, where he helps individuals and companies incorporate a four-day work week. And today he is here to tell us how to do the same. Rob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Adam. Really grateful to be here and chat with you and the listeners. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so I guess let's first set some expectations here, okay? Because most of my audience uh, has heard of the four-hour work week because, well, I've talked about it on the show here before, and a lot of people have read that book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess how, how do these correlate? Yeah, so... I'm a super huge fan of Tim Ferriss, by the way. The Four Hour Workweek was one of my all-time favorite books and really influential for me. Um, but you know, I think that that's more of an aspirational title. But this four-day workweek, I believe, is is a real thing. You know, there's there's many many companies and tons of different industries doing this. And just to be clear for the listeners, when I say four-day workweek, I mean four eight-hour days, not four ten-hour days, at the same amount of pay. So every single person in the company gets one full day of time back and still gets paid the same, management included. Yeah, that's a really important distinction, especially with this audience of cops and first responders in general that are used to working 10 and 12 hour shifts and, and often that relating to a three or four day work week. But what you're proposing is is not the same. You're proposing four eight-hour days as a four-day work week. Um, and I'll say this as, as it relates to the book, The Four-Hour Workweek, and then we'll put that to bed, that even Tim Ferriss himself admitted after that book gained some popularity that a four-hour work week was not realistic and he never intended it to be that really a four-day work week was far more uh, achievable and was something that people should strive to accomplish Uh, in their own careers and in their business. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I think it just takes a little bit of open-mindedness and belief that the four day work week is actually possible, but there are companies again, from tons of different industries and tons of different professions that are doing this. And, you know, a lot of the common, I guess, fears are at least from a business owner standpoint, well, is this, am I going to lose money? Right. And you know, the person who, in my opinion, founded the four-day workweek uh, movement was Andrew Barnes. 
in 2018, so this is, you know, four years ago before this is on anybody's radar, he took a 240 person financial services company and converted them to a four day work week. And what he found is that profit per employee increased, increased 14 and a half percent at the end of a three month trial. That is insane. Wow. You know, that so like that that for any intervention is incredible, let alone people working 20% less. It's it's amazing. So I'm gonna take a leap of faith here and make a big wild assumption that you operate from the lens that technology is making us less productive, and that somehow by limiting our access to technology or becoming more aware of the time that we waste in technology, we can take back time and be more productive. Am I right? Yeah, Adam. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I um, just a couple of things. So to be clear, my stance is that I'm not anti-technology. I'm pro-humanity. I'm a nerd. I love technology. I, I built my first computer in middle school. You know, I absolutely think that technology does amazing things for humanity. Um, but I also think of technology like a tool and just like a hammer can be used to build a house that protects you from the elements and keeps you alive. A hammer can also be used to hit people on the head. And so it's not the technology itself that's bad it's terrible or the hammer that's bad, <laughs> <laughs> but it's how you use it, you know? Uh -huh. uh, but, um, but yeah, so what's, what's happening in today's world is the, in, 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 uh, a lot of jobs, when you have a computer, the average person is checking their email and Slack once every six minutes. And so it's all this email checking and all these other fragmented tasks that we're doing. We're constantly multitasking. We're ch uh, switching between applications once every three minutes. And so with all this, ta it's called task switching or multitasking. Um, we, we feel like it's making us more productive, but it's actually wasting massive amounts of time and contributing not only to us being less productive, it's also contributing to us being more stressed out and ultimately being yeah. less effective at our jobs. 100%. And you know what? Thanks for articulating your stance so well, because I, I feel the same way and I've never quite been able to put words to how I feel about it because I, I too, I, I love technology. Uh, I'm a bit of a tech nerd. I started building websites on my grandpa's computer when I was in school, I, at tail end of middle school, beginning of high school. And nice. um, so I'm there with you. Like I love tech, but at the same time, I, I hate it. I hate it all at the same time. I hate social media. I hate being on it. I hate being held captive to it. I Right. So I mean, like, um, you articulated very well, even kind of where I come from, where it's not that I, it's not that I hate tech so much as, um, I, I just prefer to be human first, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm super glad that you said that, Adam, and that, you know, uh, the, I can explain why I named the company humans first. So there's this, uh, the statistic that I reference is, and this is by the way, a statistic from before COVID. So you can't say that COVID played into this or affected this in any way. In America, the average person spends 12 hours and 21 minutes a day in front of screens and media, and that's average. So in other words, we're spending three quarters of our waking lives seven days a week in front of screens and media, which means then that unfortunately, humans aren't first in our world anymore. Technology is based on how we're spending our time. And so Humans First, the name of my company is a reminder to people that, you know, the most love and joy and meaning and purpose in our lives comes from connecting with and being with other people. 
not technology. And so my, my vision for this company is ultimately that it actually isn't a company at all, that it's a social movement and that people realize that, you know, being with other people and doing things in person uh, and, and finding a good balance with technology is really what humanity is all about. I love it. So let's start from a practical place then. How is it even possible that companies can begin to adopt a four-day work week? Yeah, so there's a couple, you know, main things that I look at, right? When company, when you know, when I when I uh, talk to companies, and uh, the first one is email, right? And everyone, <laughs> you know, email is like a I, I view it like a business tax. We can't really ever get rid of email. It's necessary. And it does things for us that are helpful, but it, it's not, no one like wakes up and says, oh my God, I'm looking forward to checking my email today. You know, like that, that, that no one does that. Um, and so the average person sends and receives 126 emails per day. So if you take just two minutes per email, that's literally almost exactly four hours of your day right there. Then if you say you're in an average of two hours of meetings a day, I mean, some people are more, some people are less, obviously, but two hours of meetings, now you're spending six hours every day on email and meetings. And so in an eight hour day, that only leaves you two hours left to do your job, you know, like to do the, the tasks for your job, yeah. which is totally bonkers. Like most people can't really do their job in two hours. And so, you know, the, the, the whole point of my system uh, the dayback system is to eliminate distractions, spend less time in email and meetings, and focus on doing high quality work and focus on what matters most, so you can go home and spend more time with the people that you care about most. So, what are some practical things that we can do to start with in order to start taking back that time? Yeah. So, one of the main things that I think is the root cause of almost not almost, but like a, a large number of the communication problems at companies is that they don't have written standards of communication. And so here's what I mean by this. I'll give you like a quick example. So let's pretend that you uh, you um, talked with your executive team and you came to the conclusion and it would, it would sound something like this. Uh, we expect that all business communications are answered between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. local time. Uh, and that uh, we primarily use email for external communications with clients. And we expect that all emails are answered within 24 business hours. We generally use Slack for all internal communications, and we expect that all Slack messages are answered within three business hours. If something requires greater than three hours of urgency, we expect that that is communicated via a Slack phone call, and we expect you to return Slack phone calls as soon as possible. So, and you know, like the, the hours and the, and the timeframes can, you know, differ obviously depending on the company or the department or team. But imagine for a second, if all that information was agreed upon and disseminated in writing to your employees and clients. Now that completely changes how everyone does their job because instead of sitting there refreshing your inbox every six minutes, you now have the psychological freedom to check your email once or twice a day and not be scared about repercussions from management or worried that you're going to miss something. There's not as much FOMO. This allows you then to uh, be way less in your email and then do those activities that are actually important and dramatically cut down on the time that you're spending in email and Slack and all these other communication channels, which again, it's not, I'm not saying you can't, it's not useful, but being in it four hours a day isn't probably useful for most people. So I'm just going to summarize that. So written, so having these written standards of communication and making sure that they're very clearly 
communicated to employees and then enforcing them completely changes how everyone does their entire job. Yet almost no company that I talk to has something like that in place. And it's not even that hard to implement, honestly. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to copy and paste that and send it to me because uh, I'm going to put that right into our SOPs. But I mean, the, what you articulated there is essentially how we operate. But you're right, we don't have that written anywhere in our comp company policy or SOPs. Um, and so it's fair to say that those expectations aren't relayed very well amongst the team because it's kind of an assumption. Uh, and, and that's not, that, that's not okay. Right. Well, so many people say that, like so many CEOs tell me, yeah, I, I've told my employees that, but that's like, if, if you've ever purchased a house and then let's say you're the buyer and, uh, and so, someone else is the seller, if you guys have a handshake agreement and verbally agree on a price there's still a lot of hesitation there until you get the paperwork and sign the paperwork with the numbers on the paperwork, then it feels official. But until you sign that paperwork, it doesn't really feel official. And so I feel like the same thing happens with your, you know, telling employees stuff. Yes, they might remember it or something, but it just feels so much more official and endorsed from management when it's written and, and, and disseminated in a written way. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk more about this point. Let's take a quick break and then come back and we'll unpack that a little bit further. Hey, Adam here, just taking a quick break. Do you want to turn your website visitors into loyal fans? I want to let you know real quick about a free guide I wrote that will teach you how to use email marketing to educate and nurture your subscribers. Did you know that email marketing gives an average return of $44 for every $1 spent? If you've tried email marketing in the past and have been unsuccessful, this guide will give you everything you need to get it right and start seeing results from your efforts. Just go to leo2ceo.com forward slash email dash guide and you can download the guide instantly. Again, that's leo2ceo.com forward slash email dash guide. Back to the show. All right, I'm back here with Rob, and we were just talking about setting expectations for communication amongst your team. Uh, and very practically, Rob read off uh, an example of how you might communicate expectations for email versus Slack communication and and uh, that sort of thing and the timeliness in which responses are expected. I, I think that even though you pointed out that a lot of companies don't have that in writing and put into place, um, doing that, that's the easy first step. Um, the, the challenging next step that, that I see as a business owner myself is getting our clients, our customers to know that that expectation is, is in place and setting their expectations for response to their communication as well. And in going back again to the four day work week um, in that book, Tim Ferriss actually recommends that when you first start implementing some of these changes, you actually put up an autoresponder that says, hey, I've decided to start doing something different and this is now what you can expect from me. Is that is that a, a, a correct methodology you think for setting those expectations or is there a better way? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I, when I read that book, I actually did that at my job. I did too. Uh, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, my, 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 my uh, thought on that's a little bit different these days. I, uh, you know, and I, I, <clears throat> I really think that the way you disseminate these standards to uh, clients and how you explain it, it, it is, you know, somewhat uh, 
custom by you know type of company and type of client. So you know that would, might involve a little bit more detailed conversation. But generally, what I would think right is, if I have you know like let's say I have a number of let like let's say I take care of ten clients and I can you know reasonably expect to have a phone call with all ten of them, I would actually have a brief phone call with all of them and just explain to them. Hey, you know, I, I'm. <clears throat> we want to communicate these uh, changes to you, uh, and this is so that we can make it very clear for both of us, right? This is actually going to make it less stressful and easier on both of us because, what you know, what people don't realize is if there's if these uh, standards aren't um, set and communicated, what everyone does then by default is they're guessing how and when and how much they have to communicate. And this guessing not only duplicates efforts and wastes time, but it also stresses people out unnecessarily. And so it actually isn't just serving you as the, uh, you know, as your, as the employer, it's also serving the clients because then it's super clear to them how and when and how much they have to communicate, which actually makes communication with you easier. Um, and so, excuse me, I think if you, explain to them, hey, we're actually doing this so that we can focus more on the really important stuff for you and make sure that we do a great job. And, you know, ultimately what will probably happen is that your work quality or project quality goes up because you can actually focus and you're not checking your email every six minutes. They're going to, they, they stand to benefit from this too. And so it really just is a matter of framing it to the right way, uh, for them so that they understand that they're not losing anything. They're actually gaining something. They're gaining a better quality uh, product or outcome from you. Yeah. I, I laugh too, because when I first read the book, I did the same exact thing and I set up that autoresponder and uh, I had some very comical responses from some of my clients, although all were supportive in understanding of what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was comical, uh, when I first put up that autoresponder that went to everybody that sent me an email and some of the responses I got were just hilarious, but, <laughs> um, so, so let's talk a little bit more than about, um, technology mindfulness, as you put it, um, w- what exactly does that mean to you and, and how do we find ways to be more mindful about the technology around us in both our professional and personal lives? Yeah. So um, I define technology mindfulness as being aware of the ways that technology impacts you and could potentially make your life easier instead of harder. And the reason I think that this is so important is because we're using technology for literally almost every single thing in our lives at this point, uh, you know, there's bound to be some things that we're doing and we don't even, we're not even aware of it that are negatively impacting us. We might even do them every single day. Let me just give you a quick example that I think will resonate with people and I, and I'm, you know, it will kind of illustrate my point. So let's pretend Adam, it's 10 PM and you're about ready to go to bed and you're, you're, you say to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to check my email one more time. Right. And I, who, you know, mm-hmm. I did this all mm-hmm. the time, all the time. Right. So you got che- better about this, but I used to be really <laughs> bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a very, it's a, you know, it's like a, you know, you don't want to miss something or you're like, Oh, I just want to, you know, take a look one more time, whatever. So you check your email at 10 o'clock at night and let's say you get an email from your boss and it, it says something uncomplimentary about you and it really pisses you off. Right. Well now, you're in this situation where like you're, so your nervous system gets amped up, your fight or flight system gets activated and you're really upset about this comment that your boss made. 
And, you know, you don't want to email your boss back at 10 o'clock at night because that's going to tell him or her, oh, like I'm available and checking my email at 10, which that doesn't send a good signal to your boss, right? So <laughs> right. you're probably not going to be able to psychologically resolve this issue at the time that's the that you check That's the moment that you realize there was a read receipt, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be really unfortunate. <laughs> oh, crap. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know, you check that your email and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset. Well, not only then is your, uh, your fight or flight nervous system is activated, but this does a couple other things for you. The first one is that it delays the, uh, your sleep onset. You're probably going to go to bed later than if you hadn't checked your email because you're really amped up. But the other thing that you probably don't even think about is when you go to bed, regardless of what time it is, your sleep quality that night is probably going to be materially worse than if you hadn't checked your email because you got in this amped up state, which is exactly the opposite of how you want to be right before you go to bed. So not only will you probably get less sleep, but the sleep quality will be worse. And so it sounds crazy to say, but just checking your email that one time before you go to bed could essentially ruin your entire next day because your sleep is poor that entire night. And so like, yeah. that's just a simple example of it's the butterfly a, effect. Right, right. I want to ask you then this, um, how do we set those limitations, right? Like, so do you, um, do you suggest only doing things a set number of times per day or during set periods of time per day, or maybe it varies depending upon what that thing is? Um, cause I, I have to admit something here real quick. Okay. Um, I'll be, I'm a little ashamed to admit I have a phone or a game on my phone that, uh, I have been playing on my phone for like five years. And so I'm having a really hard time, even though I know it's a total waste of time, I have a really hard time getting rid of it. Cause I'm like, man, I've been playing this for five years. I'm going to lose all that progress. Right. And just to be, just to be really transparent here, the only time I really ever play it is in the bathroom. Yeah, okay? I get it. And so, so, you know, I made the excuse for myself that I'm like, well, what else am I going to do that's productive, right? I'm not really wasting time. But then recently we had Colin Mitchell as a guest uh, for a workshop in the LEO to CEO community. And he was talking about how he uses his bathroom time to be engaged on LinkedIn and mm. respond to people's posts and make and make his own comments and things like that. And that that's the time he sets aside to do that. And that creates greater impact for him. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I went, oh, man, I'm even wasting my time in the bathroom. Right. Like, so <laughs> um, that's the premise for my question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so <laughs> you bring up a very interesting point and I have to admit, right, that I still at times struggle with how much I want to feel productive versus how much downtime I have. Because right. um, what I see happening is, you know, everybody's getting more and more obsessed with productivity and time and all this stuff. And again, like I'm included, like, like I'm telling you that I, I'm, I'm, I suffer from this or I, I, I think about this a lot. But, you know, I, I kind of equate it to an Olympic sprinter. So let's say an Olympic sprinter is at a two-hour practice, right? They're in there practicing for the Olympics. Well, a sprinter isn't going to sprint for the entire two-hour practice. They might sprint for 10 to 20 seconds and then rest five to 10 minutes and then do it again and again. And so they need to rest in order to recover 
adequate leads for their activity. I think what's happening to the average person in America is we're doing this technology marathon every day, all, all the time. And we're yeah. not, our brains aren't equipped to handle that much stimulation or what's called cognitive load, which is like the um, uh, amount of processing that your brain takes or requires to do something. You know, if we're, you know, trying to fill the, 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 by the way, like I, I say this because th this reminds me of a, a quick story about myself. I realized that I was addicted to Facebook at one point because I was looking at the Facebook app on my phone in the spare 20 seconds when I was in an elevator or at red lights. And I'm like saying to myself, what on earth am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm filling 20 second gaps of time in my day with Facebook, like this isn't good, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think the, I think that each person needs to experiment with different things and determine what's right for them. Cause for instance, what might be good for me might not be good for you. As an example, I, um, and people like this, this like doesn't compete in their brains, but several years ago, I actually, uh, deleted email from my phone completely. Like I don't have an email app on the phone at all in any way. And I did that at one time too. And I loved it. And somehow I got back. <laughs> oh, well, what stopped you from, what made you put it back on? I, I don't remember. I really mm. don't remember. Well, as an alternative to that, maybe what, you know, what I suggest to people is even if you don't delete it, cause I know it's a little extreme. What you could do is just move that app to the very last page of all your apps. So now it's not on the homepage and it on purpose makes it less convenient to use. And so even that will dramatically change your usage and make it way less likely that you just automatically open up your phone and go to your email without a purpose. You know what? I want you to just give me a list of what apps you have on your phone and I'm just going to copy you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be very exciting for you. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's not that many, I don't have like many exciting apps on my phone, but that's kind of the whole point is I don't, Another thing that people don't realize is um, every if you're doing something for work, not I'm not saying like watching a YouTube video, but if you're doing something work related on your phone, you can basically do that task on average in half the amount of time on your desktop computer yeah, or a laptop. The reason is your screen is way bigger on a desktop and you're generally using a keyboard and almost everyone can type way faster on a keyboard yeah. than on a phone. So in other words, if I'm spending 10 hours a week checking email from my phone, if I just deleted email from my phone and spent that time checking the email on my computer, on my desktop, I can save five hours a week just on that alone. Just even answering the same amount of emails, right? And so like that one thing, so like I try to funnel all of my productive tasks to working on the desktop computer and that's why I don't have email on my phone. Yeah, I agree. And not to sound like a dinosaur here, but um, I, I often miss the days of ha phones that could only do phone calls, right? Like <laughs> I remember, <Yeah>. I remember <laughs> once upon a time having a phone you couldn't even text on. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and I think life was, was different then. And I don't know if that was because I was just in a different phase of life then, or if it was because there really truly is something to this whole technology overwhelm piece. I think it's probably somewhere in between a combination of the two. Um, but I often, um, think of those days and, and kind of wish we could go back to, even though I'm amazed at the incredible things we can do with these devices and I'm grateful for it when I need it. Um, I, I, I wish we could go back to just like, Hey, the phone is just a phone and, 
it doesn't suck my attention at red lights and in elevators and things like that, like you mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, and I, 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 I totally agree with your sentiment. I, I, I think that that's really one of the most difficult things is we, and I liked the phrase that you said earlier, I have a love hate relationship with technology. So many people that I talk to say that Adam, so yeah. many, because they're like, yeah, I love this. I love what it does. But then there's also these other things that it does that are not good for me or I don't want to do, but I'm like, kind of want to do. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, the thing, the way that I structure my use and, and the way that I talk about technology mindfulness is I want to structure my technology use in a way that doesn't rely on willpower in order for me to use it in a, in a way that's beneficial. So in other words, that's why I delete email from my phone. Cause instead of having to use willpower to resist my email, I don't even have, to, it's not even a thought. I don't have, I don't even have to think about, do I resist using that's my really email just point. simply because it's not on my phone anymore? Less. So it's more structured and less willpower. Yeah, that's a really, really great Which is point. good. Um, all right. Well, you know what? We're running out of time here, Rob. So um, I think you wanted to offer to everybody a 30 minute uh, technology mindful, mindfulness consultation. Um, is that right? Why don't you tell everybody what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Well, um, if you guys want to find out more about my work, you can visit my website. It's humansfirst.us. And what I'd love to offer the listeners is a free 30 minute technology mindfulness Zoom call with me. All you need to do to redeem that is just give, uh, just email me. My email address is rob, R-O-B, at humansfirst.us. And just mention this podcast in the subject line, and, and I will uh, be happy to set up a free 30-minute call with you. And we can chat about your technology mindfulness, and I can give you some practical tips on what you can do to reduce your screen time, um, be more relaxed and, uh, more, uh, and less stressed, and uh, enjoy some more time doing the things you love. Awesome. Rob, thanks for being on the show. This was awesome and uh, really great value that you provided the audience. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Really grateful for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leo2ceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other copreneurs like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.